This is a Cato Special Podcast. I'm Caleb Brown. It's been 75 years now since President Roosevelt pushed Congress to legalize beer, but it happened many months before the official end of prohibition. Brandon Arnold, the Cato Institute's Director of Government Affairs, explains. FDR came in as what they would call a wet. He wanted to repeal prohibition, uh, but obviously that process takes time. Uh, he thought a quicker way to bring beer to the masses would be uh, in addition to a push to uh, for in addition to supporting a push to repeal prohibition. He wanted to amend the Volstead Act, which is the enforcement arm of the 18th Amendment, uh, amend it to include uh, low alcohol content beer, essentially legalizing some types of beer. So almost immediately after being inaugurated, FDR was pushing very aggressively for Congress to amend the Volstead Act. The Volstead Act basically said, the 18th Amendment, of course, made alcoholic beverages or intoxicating beverages illegal, but Congress had to pass the Volstead Act to define what intoxicating beverages were. They defined it at 0.5% alcohol. Uh, FDR decided that uh, Congress should pass an amendment to that, which would up the amount of alcohol from 0.5% to 3.2% alcohol by weight thus allowing basically the majority of, of beers that were popular during that time, lighter, um, you know, beers similar to you know, today's Budweiser, lighter type of beer. Why 3.2%? That seems incredibly arbitrary. It, it, it does seem uh, somewhat arbitrary. Interestingly enough, um, when Prohibition was first passed in 1919, uh, even into 1920, that percentage, uh, the percentage of permissible beer was uh, was litigated. It was it was debated heavily and litigated. Um, a lot of people wanted an exemption on beer that was 2.7 percent alcohol or lower. Um, of course, they were unsuccessful. Um, so you fast forward to uh, when Congress was amending the Volstead Act in uh, 1933. They came up, the House came up with a 3.2% exemption, which they essentially took off the page of some, uh, some European uh, government documents, and they thought that would be a, um, a fair way to legalize these lower alcohol content beers. Uh, once the House passed its version of the bill and sent it to the Senate, they actually amended that down to 3.05%, uh, which they in turn had ripped off of a British document regulating beer. So there was a little bit of back and forth. They were able to work things out in the conference uh, committee and uh, eventually go with the, the House's original figure of 3.2%. Beer drinkers, especially those in a, in a few states, still use that 3.2% uh, figure in regulating beer. Uh, a number of states, Colorado, Utah, they regulate low alcohol beer, 3.2 or lower, differently than they regulate um, beer with more alcohol. So for instance, uh, you can buy, I believe in, in some states, you can buy beer in, in grocery stores, but only if it meets that 3.2% threshold or lower. Let's say in, in Utah, for instance, you can, if you buy, a, if you want to have a beer in a restaurant, uh, they can serve you heavy beer, as they call it, beer over 3.2% alcohol, uh, but only up until till midnight. If you want another beer after midnight in that restaurant in Utah, uh, it's got to meet the 3.2% requirement or lower. It's interesting how they still, 75 years later, have kept some of these 
these regulations or adopted forms of regulations on the book that really don't have a strong backing in, in science. The USA has, USA has a very wide variety of very good beers today. Right. When did that begin? Well, it's hard to pinpoint an exact time. You can certainly look uh, to 1979 when home brewing was legalized. There's a lot more innovation going on. So certainly the liberalizing of, of laws had an impact on making uh, this America a more beer-friendly country and one where there's a high level of quality in the beer industry. For instance, if you look at, at Germany, they have a, a very old regulation on the books, one that some say is the, the oldest regulation still currently enforced. That's the Reinheitsgebot, passed in 1516. The so-called the German beer law. The German beer purity law, which dictates what ingredients can be used in making beer. And there's a long backstory as to why they passed that. It actually had a lot more to do with averting famine than ensuring high-quality beer, though you won't hear that uh, from German brewers these days. They like to think it's the, the guarantee of high-quality beer. Uh, but in some ways, it's, it's, it's limited innovation. We have no such law here. Um, and you see a lot different types of beer, people using all sorts of uh, unusual ingredients, aging beer in, in casks. Uh, in wine casks, um, making beer with green raisins, uh, some very unusual things. And you know, it's, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but uh, you know, I guess everybody's taste buds are uh, somewhat different. So you see a lot more innovation, just like you would in any other industry. When you get government out of the way, you see more innovation, more ingenuity, and uh, in this case, more creative styles of beer. Brandon Arnold is the Cato Institute's Director of Government Affairs. This is a Cato special podcast. You can read more on current prohibition at our website, cato.org.